need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast where we go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order. My name is Jeff. He over there, my co-host, is Eric. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? It's going well, you know? It's going well. Fantastic. Uh, Well, let's talk about Munich. Uh, we watched <laughs> Munich from 2005, a rated hard R. Uh, it was quite the violent film. Uh, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Eric Bana, Daniel Craig, and uh, a host of others. Oh my God, um, the cast on this thing. Like, yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush, uh, a guy, Siran Hines, who I've seen in a billion things, but... Uh, yeah, I actually Googled it this morning. It's Kieran, Kieran Hines. I, Kieran. I Googled how to, like how to pronounce Culkin. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, God, I just watched him. He was in, uh, this miniseries called The English, which is on Amazon right now with Emily Blunt. Uh, he was Julius Caesar in Rome. I don't know if you ever watched that on HBO. It's a fantastic two season series from like back in the early 2000s. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. He's in all sorts of stuff. He's always showing up as like, I don't know, the big bad, you know, or, yeah. or, or a henchman of some sort. Um, but yeah, he's he's fantastic. I often get him mixed up with that guy from Deadwood, uh, who's also like the hotel owner in John Wick. Oh, I get um, those two flip flopped a not lot. Madsen, what's his name? He's in um, American Gods. Let me find his name because it's going to drive me crazy. Like they're both kind of getting older now. Ian McShane. Ian McShane. Yeah, yeah. the two of them. Uh, yeah, I get them. I get them conflated a lot. But now, now I've got a lock on Kieran. After this movie, I've got a lock on Kieran Hines. I'll be able to identify him going forward. So, okay. so um, had you seen Munich before? No, no, I had never seen Munich before. Um, for whatever reason, I just I I I don't even know if it really made a blip on my radar when it came out in the theaters like I've, I've always kind of vaguely known in the back of my mind that it existed mm-hmm. and it's always just been one of those films that I feel like I should watch and it's three hours long and I just was like ah it looks kind of heavy and I just have never gotten up the gumption to watch it it's kind of like I know I've mentioned this in the past but another on that list is the aviator which I know you hate so you don't have to go into how you hate it but uh but can I <laughs> please no but there are these like kind of big more epic films you know that that sometimes I just don't get around to seeing so this fell into that category um so yeah this is this is the first time that I've watched this film um how about you Oh yeah, first time for sure. I this, I think I'd heard the name, um, and I didn't know. Uh, we kind of entered an era now where I'm not really sure that I uh, know any of these films were directed by Steven Spielberg. I mean, if, uh, going forward, I'm just gonna. Oh, that's a Spielberg movie. Okay. Um. So, because uh, I just kind of fell off the map, and I, I. I don't think I'd ever been like a Spielberg guy. I'm going to watch 
Spielberg films until starting the podcast. Um, so about this time, I kind of fell off of what is and what isn't Spielberg. Something would go to the theater and I'm like, oh, that was Spielberg. Um, you know, like Minority Report is a perfect example of a movie I'd seen before. And it wasn't until like really just doing the podcast, I'm like, oh, that's Spielberg. It just never dawned on me because I wasn't tracking, I guess. And so, yeah, this is this is a first for me as well. Yeah, and I it think, is based on. I think part of what's going on here for me, too is that we're getting into the era now where I have kids, right? So at this point, That's, when this movie came out, I had a three-year-old. And so getting out to the theater is a much more precise stealth mission. You know, like I have to definitely arrange it. And yeah. so like it's a lot at this point in my life back then and, and now to an extent, a lot easier to get out of the house to go see an hour and a half long movie than it is to go see a three hour movie. You know, like it's just like how much of my day, if you include the travel time and the goddamn 45 minutes of trailers that you got to watch, how much of my day is this going to eat up? You know, um, it was just sad that that's a consideration when I go to see movies, but it is, you know? Um, so what you're going to say it is based on, I was going to say it's based on a true story, but you kind of made me think I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm dating my wife at this point. Right. And then, you know, we get married in 06 and then, you know, I'm not I'm just not going to movies in the same way. So that that definitely would play a part of it. So, uh, yeah, based on the true story around the um, attack on the Munich games where the uh, Israeli team uh, or members of it, the the movie doesn't really, for someone who doesn't really know the event that well, it didn't give me a lot of context. Like, are they part of just like one team? Who, like, who are these athletes? Um, they're really not the victims of the original attack. Are not really expounded on well. Um, no, they are. It, like, so okay, going into this, I I didn't. 100% know what the movie was about. Like I knew yeah, that it involved I. I knew that it involved the attack on the 1972 Munich Olympics, right? But that was kind of it. You know, like I really haven't read a lot. I really didn't know a lot. And so when you get that bit in the beginning cuz the first 5-10 minutes of the movie, it kind of uh kind of intersplaces a little bit of dramatization of of what happens with these guys mm -hmm. along with some news footage and then interspersed throughout the rest of the film you get these these cuts into you know more detail of what happened but that first 5 minutes like it knocks out this whole event very quickly and dispenses with it and then moves on and the movie is actually right. about what happens afterwards and so i kind of was like wait what like what wait what <laughs> what happened now? Like, I'm like, they are burning through what would probably make a fantastic film, it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. A big bummer of a film, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely enough material there to, to do a full, like, hostage movie film. So, for those that aren't hip to it and those that didn't know, just very quickly, uh, the, the Israeli team is at the Olympics. Um, a team of Palestinian terrorists come uh, burst into their apartments in the Olympic Village, and this is this this part of the story at least is definitely true. Like this absolutely happened. Right. Uh, take some hostage. Um, a long standoff ensues. They demand uh, a flight um, at the airport. Everybody makes their way out to the airport. Everyone is killed. 
Like that that's kind of all the detail you get at the beginning of the film. The terrorists and hostages alike all gone. Right. And like I know like generally speaking when you have uh the Olympic games you have lots of more than just what look like one room full of people uh of the Israeli team. You know like we when the Olympics take place, you see the country walk down. It's usually pretty, ex- a lot of people, multiple teams. Like you got gymnasts and you got swimmers and you got, and this was just like, here they are. And I, I do feel like even though the attack on Munich is the backdrop for the story that's going to be told, I really felt like it didn't honor what happened and honor the victims in a way that I could be like, Oh, like understand what this meant to the world at that time. And what this meant to, um, this Israeli nation and, and the, you know, um, Arabic nations at that time, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, even though it's not the story they wanted to tell, I wonder if it could have been, uh, told with just news at the top. You know, and just he knew just to set the backdrop as opposed to having a full dramatized sequence around these events. Yeah, it kind of made me feel like I really needed to focus on this. But in all reality, it probably could have been a couple news stories from real life news stories and a a quick, you know, coda and we're done. Yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily feel like we need more than this for the context of the movie because the movie isn't necessarily about this event right it's about the aftermath and i think there might be some expectation that viewers coming into this movie know about this and and i think also it's just uh, a testament to how little i know about world history that I wasn't necessarily hip to this because this is big shit, right? Like this is a big stuff, an attack on the Olympics, which every time the Olympics rolls around, I get worried somebody's going to like do an attack on the Olympics. Like it just seems like such a huge, like painting a big target on itself, you know? Um, Well, I remember Atlanta um, because I was alive and watching the Olympics at that time. But how old were you in 72? I was born. Like this, this happened okay. like right as so I was born. So. You wouldn't know, right? And I wasn't born, so that would be why you know it's sort of in the distant past. Yeah, I do remember the general culture of terrorism in the seventies. It kind of trickled off into the backdrop of the Cold War in the eighties. Like I, I definitely remember seeing the newscasts about like skyjackings and you know this one attacking that one and it all like that back and forth that kind of is portrayed later on in this film like i i remember some of that mm-hmm. stuff but this specific event i i'm not terribly knowledge about knowledge knowledgeable about in fact i think the only context i had that this happened at all was from the bits and pieces about this movie that I've caught over the years since its release. Right. Like I've, I've just don't, I just don't know about this. Um, it hasn't been relevant. It was never taught in any classes I was in. Yeah. So it was it, very interesting place to start the movie. And of course now I've gone back and read, but like a lot of the history of it and so on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what did you feel about the guys? Like I, I, 
pretty sure this is all dramatized, but the the group of um, you know terrorists are coming in, and there's just some guys. Oh, you want help jumping the fence? You know, not even thinking about it. Sure. You know, I wonder if like, A, are those guys real? Like if they're at the house or like later on, they see the news like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> whoops. Yeah, I, I, I didn't research to see if those guys were real. I just thought it was kind of like a, a funny and interesting touch just to humanize the whole thing. But I mean, like stuff like that happens, you know, yeah. like, like. Timothy McVeigh is going to stop for gas on the way to the Oklahoma City bombing, you know, and people are going to interact with him. Like, like stuff like that happens. You just don't know who right. who you're dealing with on a day to day. So yeah, I thought I thought that that was kind of funny, and I didn't know like all of a sudden like when that happened, I was like, oh, is the movie going to be about these guys, like the guys that helped him over the fence? No, yeah, no, the movie's not about he- those guys. It takes a long time to get to Eric Bana, who's our lead, because it, it goes through. It shows other families you watching the news, and they don't ever come back up again, you know. But it, eventually, we get to Eric Bana, uh, whose wife is pregnant, and I don't understand why. So the the just the overview the there's a small team of uh, people that are collected by i believe the israeli government to go out and uh, assassinate those responsible for this attack and they are picked not at random but they seem to be citizens like just guys to me um that have certain skills but why eric banna i mean i think i think that he was picked because he had been a bodyguard for the prime minister. They they established that the the lady at the beginning is the, the prime minister at the time of uh, Israel. So she was familiar with him. He came from a family with some military history. They discuss his father several times throughout the movie. Um, so and he's a Mossad agent, right? So he, uh, while he is not running around leading teams of assassins at the beginning of the movie, he is. I would say, like, put him on the level of, like, a Secret Service guy, right? Okay. Um, So I'm guessing that's why they picked him. And they also, I think, wanted to pick somebody who, at the time, was not international, did not have a lot of experience out in the field of, you know, undercover spooks, you know, because he could move freely and not bring attention to himself. Like he was low level enough that they were able to disassociate him from the Israeli government fairly easily and then send, send him out into the world to operate, you know, in shadow, which protects him and his team for a time, you know, not for good, but for a time they're able to kind of operate and, uh, and the Israeli government is able to kind of say, oh, no, they're not with us. And he is able to say, oh, no, I'm not with the government, you know, which turns out to be necessary on all sides uh, until it breaks down, you know. Yeah, it's the disavow all knowledge, um, mission impossible situation. Yeah, totally. Um, and he gets plenty of warning, like he's not taken by surprise. They're like, listen, you're going to essentially sign this document. Your family will be paid. But you will no longer be employed. You'll have no insurance. You'll you'll be off the grid. 
And uh, he is joined by a team of four individuals, one of which was Daniel Craig, who I didn't know was in this movie. No, me either. Um, looking exactly the same as he does now. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Craig's awesome. I was like, like does he, he just... look young now? My wife was like, no, I think he's kind of just always looked a little old. <laughs> now, this does this predate Casino Royale? I think, I think so. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. And this, um, this is probably the last movie where he's going to show up in a supporting role like that. Casino Royale is 06. Yeah. So, yeah. But this is late 05, um, at least release date-wise. So, do you ever, um, back when I was watching uh, Mrs. Doubtfire as a kid, Pierce Brosnan's in that movie. Yeah. And it predates his his run as James Bond. But I remember being a kid being like, oh, it's James Bond. Like, the movies hadn't come out, and yet I knew that guy looked like James Bond. Well, and sidebar on him, like, he was on Remington Steel, which was like a a mystery show uh, in the early 80s that I watched religiously, right? Like, it's about a a spy novelist who writes books about a character named Remington Steel, and all of a sudden this weirdo shows up, and he's just like... I'm Remington Steele. And she's like, what the hell? And he just, the entire show maintains this idea that he's this fictional character that she writes about come to life. And then they go off together and solve mysteries. It's a goofy concept, but it's really funny and clever. But even at that time, way before he was James Bond, I think everybody was already like, oh, this dude's going to be James Bond. You know, like, like immediately. It's almost like Patrick Stewart and Professor X. It's like, yeah, that's. That's him. Right. As soon as he burst onto the scene, everybody's like, oh, shit, this is a shoe-in. He's got it. Yeah. I, I wonder if anybody, because I know when Daniel Craig was cast, everybody was like, oh, he's blonde. But, you know. And now anyway. now he's like among the best Bonds in history. Yeah. I, I am definitely in the Pierce Brosnan camp that is my Bond. And a lot of people like who love the entire run are like, what? He's the worst. I'm like, ah, but he's mine. Like when I went to the theaters to watch James Bond movies, it was Pierce Brosnan, you know. But anyway, that's a sidebar. He's also joined by Karrion, uh, Car- what's his name? Kieran. 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 Kieran Hines. Kieran Hines. Um, uh, Jeffrey Rush plays uh, Ephraim. And there's one more who's like, is that Robert? So yeah, I give the okay. So there's Hans. Hans is the guy who does the documents, right? And he's played by somebody named Hans. Uh, Kieran Hines is the guy on the team who basically go, comes along after them and removes all evidence of their presence. Like he's almost like their own built-in cleaner, right? He's the cleaner. He's the yeah. cleaner. Um, uh, James Bond, Daniel Craig is more or less the driver and the muscle. Right, like I don't think he serves. And then they got a bomb guy, who is in charge of making the bombs. Uh, as it turns out, kind of poorly. Um, yeah, he's trash. <laughs> like, <laughs> like nothing goes right. Like everything he touches goes wrong. Well, I mean, he eventually admits he's not a bomb guy. Like, like yeah. he comes in like right out of the gate and says, "I make toys." You know, and then eventually, like after so many bombs go wrong, he finally breaks down and says, 
I don't make bombs. Like, I'm trained to disassemble bombs. I'm trained to be the guy that goes into a bombing and takes the bomb apart and keeps it from blowing up. They right. just put me in here because they figured I knew enough about bombs. So, like, the entire time as things are going wrong, he's making excuses for himself and, you know, like, oh, they must have changed the label on the explosives and this and that. It turns out our, he's not a bomb maker. He's, like, winging yeah. it, you know? Um, it's the plastique distributor. Right. <laughs> So yeah, it's a um, it's a pretty fun tight little team and then Jeffrey Rush is like their their handler who shows up on occasion and gets mad at them about stuff um because they kind of go off script, you know, more than once. Yeah. Um and 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 as I said, this is a hard R. Um the the sequence at the beginning is is shown in all its gritty detail. Uh one of the bombs goes off and the there is guy everywhere. Um uh, that that sequence is unbelievable. Like just jaw dropping. I jaw-dropping. really like it though. When when like, I when I, I texted you and said this is a nutty ass movie, that's that's what I was thinking of. Like they're they're gonna assassinate this guy, and so he's in the center room, and they put a bomb underneath his mattress so that when he lays on it, the weight will activate the remote, and they'll have a little light come on the remote, and they can hit the button and and blow him up. And then Dan or Eric Bana is in the room next door on one side. And then on the other side, there's these newlyweds. And the whole thing is crazy suspenseful um, because Eric Bana is out on the balcony and he kind of meets and chats with the newlyweds briefly. But they're, you know, like making out and getting ready to go do newlywed things. And then the actual... uh Palestinian guy comes out and they chat a little too. And as usual, you get a little a little character moment with this person they're going to kill. It humanizes them. They have a brief conversation, and then he goes in. He lays down, and then you get this like suspense where Eric Band is just like pacing the room, like waiting to like tell them that it's time to trigger the bomb. And they've previously established like, no, the bomb's not going to come through the wall. You're going to be fine. The guy goes to bed. He turns off his light. Eric Banner turns off his light, which is the signal to the team. They set off the bomb. And it just comes blowing out <laughs> all the walls. Like, everything goes to shit and explodes. And so Eric Banner's kind of, like, in recovery mode. And he's stumbling around. And there's smoke everywhere and fire. And it's just a total mess. He realizes he has to go check uh, if his wall came in, the newlyweds wall came down, too. He's going to run over there and check. And so he runs through the room where the guy was on the bed and like the guy's torso is on the his ceiling fan is yeah. <laughs> and, like his guts are like hanging down and like spinning on the ceiling fan. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, <laughs> Holy God. You know, like we've seen, we've seen Spielberg do gore before, like in saving private Ryan to an extent. But I think this is like the hardest we've seen him go as far as this sort of thing goes and and you know it's all it's all to effect you know like the the whole point yeah. is making these people confront what they're doing you know like that's one of the big themes of the movie well, is, is and not being able to get out the, clean you know the psychological toll of what's going on uh, well not only that but the whole like there is eric banna um may you say you secret service and this has these backgrounds but i get the feeling that he's never actually taken someone's life before starting into the process because the first guy they kill 
they're very much like they have him at gunpoint. They have the bomb guy there with him, and neither of them really want to do it, but they eventually do. Uh, my question is, why not have Daniel Craig go in? Because he has no problem. Oh, yeah. He, he's just like, <laughs> bang, 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 done. Like, yeah. Why aren't we just shooting them all? What's the problem? Why are we doing bombs? We should just guns. We should just use guns. Um, but one thing that this movie did that I think no other Spielberg movie has done for me is really hit this Hitchcock level of uh, suspense filmmaking. This feels kind of like a Hitchcock movie. It reminds me of a bad Hitchcock movie called Topaz, because Topaz takes place in 69, and it's this sort of war drama. It's nowhere near as good as this. But the atmosphere, the cars, all of that, it just really gives credence to the level of authenticity that this 1972 and this movie creates. It feels like a film made in like because topaz was made in 1969 it looks like a movie that takes place in 1969 and this movie looks and feels like a movie made in 1969 the camera work the movement yes everything like it's not just a period piece like the actual filmmaking is matching and I, I, I don't know for certain, but it feels like it's very inspired by Hitchcockian uh, suspense. The scene outside when there's one of the guys, I think the first guy they kill, and there's people in the towers and like looking around, and the way the camera moves in from afar, and it just it does those seventy zooms. Yeah, Hitchcock. And there's a scene where the one guy's on the phone, and then there's a couple outside. And the phone kind of zooms in. And then the whole sequence with the bomb in the phone and the little girl going upstairs and them stopping it is Hitchcock 101. Like, it really hits that Hitchcock on the head to me, which is what made it feel like I was really enjoying that aspect of it. Because Topaz is garbage. Go back and listen to that episode. It's a bad movie. But... This is what it would have looked like if it were good. <laughs> is how I feel. Yeah, I, I'm a hundred percent with you on like the the 1970s cinema grit and feel of this movie. Um, like it, it really feels like I don't know, like I don't know some of like the conversation and like some of those other kind of like spy cop suspense movies uh, from the 1970s. Uh, it it really it really nails that that look and that feel and the camera style and so on. And I was reading some about the making of this movie and the way they made it is nuts. Like they, he was trying to rush it to get it out um, in time for Christmas. And they didn't even start filming the movie until six months before the release date. So they're running around like a bat out of hell, like setting up shots on the fly, not using storyboards, editing on location as they go. So they're coming out of location with like completed chunks of the movie and then like assembling them at the end, like just nut job stuff, like shooting every day, shooting the dailies off in one direction to John Williams and shooting them off into the other direction to the sound editors and like, like just really see to their pants filmmaking which is astounding because when you watch it it feels like it was the most meticulously planned you know 
ode to 70s cinema ever you know <laughs> and it's uh it is really cool in in that way like the, so I'm, I'm i'm getting this vibe from you i know we're a half hour in and we didn't cover this yet i'm getting this vibe from you that you dug it like you liked this movie i would uh okay your your rating has always been thumbs down thumbs up thumbs in the middle slightly cocked up slightly cocked out that's kind of been mine is like thumbs up but it like a you know, like a kind of two thirds of the, <laughs> I'd say it's a four out of five is how I would like to put it. I, I, I did enjoy a lot of it. I, I think that the character work needed some help. Um, there is, this is a two hour and 44 minute film. You take out the credits. It's like an hour or two and a half hours. And I didn't feel like there was really much character work at all. Uh, like I didn't care about the characters when members of his team start to get knocked off, it wasn't like, oh, no. Have you ever seen another movie this reminded me of is The Untouchables, right? Yeah. Um, and it, mostly because you have the team, a small team of guys working together, pulling off something like this. And when spoilers for Untouchables, when Sean Connery dies, it's like, oh, no, like you really that team and that camaraderie had really built up, you know? by that point in that film and they did it in a lot less time i never got that with this movie like i never felt like daniel craig and eric banner respected or had some sort of mutual respect for each other it felt like five independent entities kind of working on their own like they never became cohesive or had that camaraderie and um we're the only time they do is like right before one of the characters gets killed. Did they actually try to build some sort of relationship beyond just duty? Yeah. Um, where um, Kieran, his character, gets killed, right? They have a quick, they have a conversation beforehand, and it it's not about specifically the job, but just emotions and trying to do something deeper than just, this is our mission, and here we go. And then he dies, right? Um, so... That is my big problem with the film. I dug the movie, but I think there was things that definitely could have taken it from being kind of a thrilling action drama to actually having some sort of heart behind it, you know, that would have made it punch me in the gut a little more. Yeah, I see that. I think, like, in general, the majority of the character work is with Eric Bana, who just in general is kind of stoic throughout the film. You see him slowly unraveling. And then at the end, like he's completely unraveled, but he spends, he spends a lot of the movie very stoic. And I think they're they're, like, so many events have to be covered in this movie that a lot of those character moments with the rest of the team just have to be kind of put, put to the side. Right. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I know you hate it. <laughs> you don't. You don't agree. At least when I say it, I would have liked to see a longer version of this movie. Like I, I would I watch will... a mini series of this movie. You know, like I feel like spacing it out a little more, taking a little. Like you can still have the extremely suspenseful sequences, but just taking out the frantic pace and adding in a few more quiet character moments uh, between this team and letting the rest of the team kind of breathe a little bit. Uh, could have only like expanded both both I think like the character moments and some of the general themes of the movie um, 
So I agree. Yay! For once. <laughs> um, that th- this movie could have been a miniseries. It could have had spent more time with the characters in a. But as a because I messaged you saying it's two hours and forty four minutes and sent a gif of some frustrated guy because I really generally speaking I'm not into big marathon movies. But there's no real lulls at all. Like it's boom, 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 boom. Like things are always happening. So it's not boring. And so the the times I object are like with Empire of the Sun where I'm bored the whole time. And you're like, I want more of this. And I'm like, you really want to be bored longer? Well, but with this, in that one, I think we could have I, I, those, like you said, the character moments interspersed with bits of really awesome action. Yeah, I, I feel like with uh empire of the sun like we didn't necessarily emotionally engage with it because we didn't know enough about some of the side characters it was the same deal like i didn't want it expanded up because i needed more to really understand the story i wanted to expand it out so i could learn more about like the different people in the camp so of a, of a similar and, and place that, it's just that this but is I think a the more entertaining was there was movie so much- dead space in that movie they had enough time in empire of, sun, of the sun to do what you wanted yeah, okay. There is a lot of fat in Empire of the Sun. There isn't any in this movie. So I think adding more scenes to it wouldn't make uh, a less appealing cut of meat. Um, you know, whereas that is all just, I don't know, Empire of the Sun sucks is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> um, whereas this, I think, could benefit from a longer form of storytelling. Um and I think would make a, a, a great three-part, four-part miniseries um, with better. How much of my problem is just Eric Bannon not necessarily being charismatic? Like, can Eric Bannon pull off something? Like, I mean, what have I seen him in? Hulk? That movie's garbage. Now, I don't blame him, but... I, and I've seen um Troy. Troy is him. He's garbage. He's not garbage. He's just like, ugh. He's stoic. Dude is stoic. He just, like, there's never any, other than just being a handsome guy, there's nothing that draws you in to his performances, and I think that could be a big part of it. Like, if, like, Daniel Craig is on screen, and there's a scene in the movie where, like, there's the woman who is responsible for for killing um, Kieran's character, they go in and they, you know, Daniel Craig walks in the room first. And I'm like, oh, you're good. Like he just has that presence and gravitas of someone who is dangerous. And Daniel Craig is just awesome. And he has that natural charisma. Eric Bannett doesn't. He enters the room. I'm like, oh, OK, someone's here to put some carpet in. Yeah, I think a lot of Eric Bannett's work in this film and I. I agree to a certain point. He's not. He's not like thrilling to watch, right? Like he's not an action hero. He's, he's no Tom Cruise, like we were talking about with. Uh, I just I just yeah. re-listened to our Minority Report episode, and we we're like, Tom Cruise, he's so cool. He's he cool. You got to get on board with him doing awful things because he's Tom Cruise. With Eric Bana, I feel like a lot of his performance in this movie is internalizing what's going on to him. So you have to really kind of carefully watch around the edges of his performance to see his kind of like 
him shoving the emotions down and internalizing what he's doing, you know, like you were talking about the initial assassination and how like they're both kind of flipping out and they don't really want it. Those are the moments where I feel like he shines the moments where he's pacing around the the hotel room waiting for the bomb to go off, you know, like and just kind of look at his fingers kind of like he's doing this like finger wiggle because he's super nervous. Um, and then, and then, you know, like there comes a point in the movie where he's just like, he tries to pull this, I don't feel anything. I could do this forever yeah. and never feel I'll anything I'll do it and again. I'll go to sleep that night, you know, no yeah, big deal. Which is, which is total bullshit because, you know, yes. later on in the movie, like it's, it really surfaces and like he has this total. <laughs> one of the most laughable, I, never mind. I will get to it. There's an involuntary, there's a, in, what's the word? Uh, unintentional funny part to this movie where I just was like, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> is, it, is it the sex scene? Is that where you go? Oh my God. Yeah. Come on, man. It's so dumb. And like, uh, it like, should we talk about it? Let's talk about it. We're here now. The, like near the end of the film, like I guess he's out of the, 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 at this point he's out, you know, and he's with his wife and they're making love. And he's like, it's cutting in between scenes of, um, you know, the reciprocal attacks from other groups and like more of what's going on, more uh, just violence it, all it's around. It's showing the end of what happened at the airport, too. Like it's going yeah. back and forth because he tends to flash back on the airport in moments of like crisis and when he needs motivation and so on and so forth. Like he kind of. This is he needs motivation for sex. So he's he's pumping away and it's cutting back and forth. And then he just starts screaming and he's drenched in sweat and he flips his hair back like a shampoo commercial and it sprays water on the roof. And he's like, yeah, and he's screaming. And I was like, wow, this is stupid. <laughs> I feel like the concept of that scene is really solid. I feel like the execution of it is over the top to the point where it kind of loses some of its effect. If he had just been like quietly having sex with his wife and then it was like interspersing these scenes of violence and stuff and showing that he was like consumed with this and thinking about it, you know, during this private moment with his life and he what he wasn't able to focus on his wife and his family and so on like i think that's a really effective image right like so much bad shit has gone on that this guy can't clear his mind long enough to have you know an intimate moment with his wife i think that that's like a really effective yeah. way to show you're it. explaining a much better scene yeah, I, I just feel like the way that it was filmed, because, I mean, even I, I was like, oh, I get what they're going for here. But then, you know, I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit, too, just because it is so over the top. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess they were trying to show that honest, we're all 13 on the inside. <laughs> and so 13 year old me is like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm I'm with you to an extent, like if not you know, the spirit of the scene, then the execution of the scene is sure. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I I agree. I think what you described made, uh, more sense than what the film felt like it was really doing. Like I just got lost at that point. Yeah. So I feel like we need to, we, we really need to talk a lot about the themes of this movie. And 
it's so far we I feel like we've been doing a really really great job of not acknowledging the Israel Palestine like <laughs> situation that drives this movie. Right. But that is, you know, what drives this movie. And you know, particularly at this moment in our history here in the United States, bit of a prickly topic, right? Like, you know, there is a lot of talk about anti-Semitism and, you know, practices of Israel and, you know, people just going on camera screaming free Palestine in YouTube videos, you know, like there's, there's a lot of talk about this right now and a lot of different opinions and takes on what is historically a very long standing, not likely to get solved anytime soon geopolitical mess. Right. Like, like this is just no way about it. No matter what your opinion is, no matter which side you fall on in this situation, I think everybody could acknowledge it's not simple. It's not easy. It's not going to get solved anytime soon. You know, like it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, so I, I, I feel like while this movie is specifically about Israel and the Palestinians, I also feel like it's very possible to lift the themes of this movie out of that context and plop them down on any geopolitical conflict because they resonate regardless. You know, like, like you could take the themes of this movie and put them on the United States after 9-11. You could take the themes of this movie and plop them down into the inner city of Chicago with gang warfare. Like, the whole idea of violence begetting violence and you know the futility of the cycle of violence um is not specific to israel and palestine right um and and i also think like like that that's one of the big pieces that i took away from this movie like it's it's about the futility of one side taking revenge on the other side which then takes revenge on the other side, which then takes revenge on the other side. And, you know, it's like a hydra. Each time you cut off a head, eight more spring up in its place. You know, like they actually say in the movie, like, worse guys are taking the place of the guys that we're killing, you know? Yes. And, uh, and they're more angry now than they were before because we killed these guys. And, <laughs> and so it just escalates and escalates and escalates. And more than escalation, it perpetuates. It just goes on and on and on and on. And and the cycle is very hard to break because all of these human emotions are tied up in it, you know, and the need for revenge, but also like kind of conflating that idea of revenge with security you know, like we need to have this response so they know not to mess with us anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what what happens then on the other side when they say we need to have a response so they know not to mess with us anymore, you know, and, and how that just keeps going and going. And like I thought for such a stellar suspense spy action movie, it did a remarkable job of putting that theme forward 
you know, yes. you know, like, like I think you really have to not be paying attention to this movie to not grasp on to that theme in this movie, you know, because it, it, it's really what the movie is all about. Um, it, and not so much. I think, like, when the movie came out, there was a lot of controversy, right? People are like, uh, he sided with the Israel- Israelis. And, of course, Spielberg is a Jewish guy, you know? Uh, and so, you know. But then other people were like, he sided with the Palestinians. He, like, he, he allowed the terrorist moments of humanity, you know? And so they were angry, and everybody's angry, and everybody's going back and forth. And... I think that a lot of that really misses the point that it's while the the film is based in this real conflict it's really more about humanity and tribalism mm-hmm. and you know this this never ending fight that goes on back and forth between factions and uh how how violence begets violence and so on yeah, and you mentioned the tribalism. There's a lot of like you're doing this for your nation, you know, uh, Israel. And uh, one thing I should say, and I obviously don't have a horse in the in the race uh, between the two nations. I felt that it was balanced. I didn't feel like it was like, uh, despite you know Spielberg being a Jewish man having it slanted one way or the other. It certainly focuses on the, the the Jews or the protagonists, but I felt like there are those humanizing moments with the Palestinians and like there's moments where they get to speak and say, look at what Israel has done to us, you know, and it's, it's very much like we're not the only ones to blame here, you know, like, like Hitler would be right. Everybody, no, you know, like Hitler's terrible and, and all the way through, he's the bad guy you go get him but in the and from the palestinians point of view it's like we've been hurt too and so i as coming at it from that i felt like it was very balanced at least in my white guy opinion um felt like it it seemed fair to me um it'd be interesting to get someone who's um from that uh background to give their opinion now the other thing um you had mentioned was like the violence beginning violence. And he is at one point like, well, it's time for you to get out. People are like, you should get out. You're like people are starting to ask for your name and your information. People are wanting to start assassinating you. You got this little girl at home time to go. And he's like, we still got four more to kill. And he's like, yeah, but every time you do someone else pops up, like you said, so he's just going to be perpetually doing this. Uh, because you're never going to win. Yeah. I I did I I don't know why it surprised me when they hit that point in the movie where like the hunters become the hunted. But it did, you know, like like I was a little because I I knew that like the French information network who are fascinating characters on their own. Like that whole thing is real cool and very like they're just making money. They're just they making are, money and and they're, yeah. they're selling they have no loyalty to anyone outside the fact that they don't like working with governments, right? And and so like uh, the team the movie is about is working with them to get information uh, on where these Palestinian leaders are, but like very little stopping to think like, oh, we're giving up our own 
every time we meet with these guys, we're giving up our own location. They're learning more about us and who we are and where our families are and so on. And and right. these guys very openly say we have no loyalty. Like we do not have Which loyalty. Is, we will sell information. And and, and Eric Bana has loyalty to them. He is asked many times by his government to sell out his sources and he never does. Yeah. It yeah. It, so that that whole dynamic of like this interpersonal relationship, like you can tell the guy Papa, you can tell Papa actually has an affection and maybe a sympathy for Eric Bana and what he's doing and what he's trying to achieve. But, you know, he's also very clear eyed and, you know, like not at all confusing in his messaging that, you know, there is no loyalty here until the very end where Eric Bana kind of like retires and gets out of it. At which point he says, no harm to you is going to come from me. Like at this point, like, yeah, but that, that felt like an empty promise. It did. And not because he, because he says, I can promise you this. No harm will come to you or your family from me. That doesn't say I'm not going to sell your information to someone who will harm you. That's how I took it. Like it gave, Eric Bana and myself, no peace that <laughs> that was not a promise that would make you feel cozy because afterwards he's like, no harm will come to your family f- from me. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Click. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah. It, like getting involved in, in one of these back and forth like this too. It's like you, you, you will have no peace for the rest of your life. Like organizations like this or in general, geopolitical vendettas have a long memory the united states just last year took out that dude who helped plan 9 11 that was 21 years or 20 years after it happened we sent that crazy missile onto his front porch or like took him out on the balcony you know like memories are long as far as like spy stuff goes and the enemies that they made were not just the Palestinians, because there's this web of other countries' involvement. And so as they're going to do these assassinations, it's like, oh, wait, the KGB is here. Oh, hey, were those guys CIA? Like, who are all these people and all these different factions involved? And at one point, somebody said to him, oh, you killed a KGB guy at that last one. And I was like, ah, damn, you know, like, like, who knows how, like, the tendrils of revenge are spreading throughout the globe based on your action when you're doing these things, you know? Um, So, yeah. The other thing I had is, like, how come they never questioned the quality of the information they were given? Like they, uh, they were they're buying the information, and I always got the feeling like they're giving him names he doesn't even ask for, you know. Like who is this really, you know? And then there are questions later where he asks their handler, "Hey, are these actually the people that planned the Munich attack?" And the guy doesn't really answer. He says, "Well, that guy did something else, right, but he, he was a bad guy too." Yeah, they're bad guys. But not necessarily the guys, right? Yeah, and you get the feeling at the end of the movie that Eric Bana, who has essentially ruined his life, you know, he's going to be living in fear the rest of his life. Like you said, he can't have sex without thinking about terrorism. And uh, and now what was it for? It wasn't even for what he thought, you know. How many of these people? Because they show clearly that the actual people who are boots on the ground in the attack are untouchable because they're in whatever nation they're in. 
yeah. Palestine. Yeah. And so they can't actually get these people that they know are the ones who perpetrated the attack. And so they're getting all these planners. But how, like, I have the feeling none of them, you know, like, we just got this guy. We lied to him and told him that this is what we want. And we're able to put this thing out there that's sort of risk free for us because we don't know who that is. He's working on his own. Our hands are clean. And like that's kind of like if you doubt one of the names, then you have to doubt them all. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think if you set foot into that world, you have to make the assumption it's going to follow you home sooner or later like look what happened to the dutch assassin lady right Mm -hmm. like she was kind of a gun for hire and uh she i assume she showed up in that hotel with a list of her own right and eric band is primary target number one but she had some secondary targets to go at too and uh and they were willing to go off script right and mm-hmm. just to get revenge on her just for taking out one of their own. So like she was not a political target. She was not part of, you know, the revenge for Israel against Munich, right? She was an independent operator who got hired to do a job. And now those people are coming after her on a personal level. And so yeah. like how much of that are you creating through your actions too? Like how much is our KGB's family over there planning to come and get you? Like I said, it's a web of revenge that you're spinning, you know, and you're going to end up sitting in the closet, holding the gun, <laughs> freaking out at every little noise, sleeping in the closet, sleeping in the closet because you cannot get peace after and being part of in that this was world. bomb guy being killed. Like at the end of the day, it's just him and Daniel Craig left. Um, which is, you know, kind of interesting because Daniel Craig was the most violent of them all. He was like, let's just go get them, which makes me wonder if he's still employed by the government. Like, he seems like the kind of guy you'd want to keep around if you're wanting to do murder. Um, yeah. So I agree. I, I think it does open up. And then a lot of it makes you question pa- patriotism. Yes. You know, like not... Like we talked about, I just edited our Krokozja episode, and his patriotism is like loving where he's from, loving his home. But there's a difference between that and loving your government. <laughs> like you're fighting the government's vendetta. Yeah, and uh, you know he he kind of he's going into it because his countrymen were killed, and then like, but what he ends up doing is just being a tool for the government to use and you know it's yeah but you're doing this like at the end of the movie the, his hand was like you're doing this because you're israeli and you're doing it for your nation and but he's like no i, I was kind of doing it for the people who were killed in munich i was kind of doing it to keep you know like you said showing them not to mess with us but at the end what he really was doing uh, unbeknownst to himself was just furthering the the government's agenda yeah yeah and and there's this this tie between and i don't know i don't have like being a white guy we don't really have a nation that just sort of is encapsulates like i i think you know israel's kind of unique in that the jewish people and israel are synonymous like it, Israelis are Jewish and Jewish people all kind of 
are from Israel, right? Like in some way, whereas other nations, like even, you know, uh, Palestinians, like the, their neighboring countries and stuff that, that are all Middle Eastern uh, people kind of have that sort of more nations and stuff like that that go around. Like, you know, there's white people in Canada and everywhere, mostly because Europe is doing whatever they're doing. But I don't have any sort of, like the United States doesn't represent me as an ethnic person because I, for one, I'm, I have, I'm as white as they come. Like you can see me in the dark, but, um, whereas Israel is very much, if you attack Israel, you're attacking the Jewish people. Yes. And so there is that sort of identity that gets wrapped up in Israel as a nation that I don't think other people groups really have, right? Well, yeah. I could be wrong, yeah. but that's my out- outsider's look at things. It probably makes it more complex to be uh, somebody from Israel or a Jewish person who has disagreements with the Israeli gar- government, which is where this character ends up at the end of the movie, right? Like he's he's disaffected. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily feel like he wants to go back. Uh, he's, he's kind of a, a, I don't want to call him a refugee, but he's definitely an exile in, yeah. in Brooklyn. Right. Um, because it is a very unique, because it combines like geography with politics, with religion, you know, all together and ethnicity there and ethnicity. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think they're probably like in, in the Middle East and some of the Arabic nations, there are probably other nations that similarly have that that cocktail of identity, you know, that but as United States citizens, we don't have that. And therefore, it's kind of like more difficult for us even to like wrap our head around what, well, yeah, what that I'm is, never, you know, like we're, as a white guy, you're never going to see me out there fighting for my race. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. That would not be good. No, no. Um, and, and, and like a, a lot of people here in the United States, we don't even know what we are. Right. Like we take ancestry tests because and then sometimes get surprised by, yeah. you know, where we come from. Like we don't even we don't have the identity to the extent that like most a lot of people just don't even care you know like they don't want it right. it doesn't matter i'm american you know and uh so yeah and and therefore you know i think american patriotism is much different than israeli patriotism um yeah because the jewish people have been on earth since you know pre-bible times it's an ancient race of people who have you know had this long-standing history and a lot of that history revolves around like oppression and perseverance and so on whereas in the united states we've been here 200 years and we're like free economy woo you know (laughs) like like, yeah Yeah, we got things pretty good yeah democracy yay uh but there's not that history and that depth there you know and and so like for an American to criticize America, uh, 
although we are often accused of being unpatriotic or whatever for uh, criticizing United States policies or something, it's a lot different than criticizing the actions of <clears throat> not just the nation, but like the race of people and the ethnicity and the religion. It's all tied together there. Right. right. And so for somebody uh, to be like, I don't feel like I belong anymore. I'm going to go over here. It's a much bigger deal, you know, Uh so I don't know. And I, I think for me, the difference is there is a difference between nation and government, right? Like when I'm watching the Olympics, uh, woohoo, USA, like it's, those are my hometown people who I root for. Or if, and if someone were from my neck of the woods, like someone's right, you know, University of Florida is right around the corner from where I live. Uh, I'm rooting for them. They're the hometown people, but I don't give two shits about the people who run the university or run like i don't like our governor very much like that's the difference is like i love the state i'm in and have been born and raised in florida is my home but the people running this place are idiots and that's not being unpatriotic you know what i mean so it's like that's kind of my feeling on it is like once you get your identity bound up in being patriotic in the government. I don't, I, you know, sometimes being against what the government is doing is patriotic. It's, you know, that's not what we do here. You know, everyone can live here. It's, I want America to be a place where everyone feels safe, you know, and, and happy and has equal opportunity. That's America. And if the government doesn't do that, I'm going to say, speak out against it with whatever small modicum of voice I have. And that's me being patriotic. And so I think, you know, government and nation are two separate things to me. Yeah. And the government would rather have you believe that they're the same. Yeah. I, I Well, and then certain factions of the, the uh, citizenry would have you believe that it's the same, too. You know, like that they're... There are factions within the United States who, if you don't agree with them, they'll point their finger and call you un-American and non-patriotic, and which is really to the point where, like, certain factions in the United States have politicized things like patriotism to the point where, like, it feels a little weird to say the pledge of allegiance because they've politicized that so much that it's kind of like, do I feel gross doing this? You know, like it's, it's, it really has gotten out of hand. And so one of my questions to you for the end, and we're over an hour, so we can, just, we can just get into it. So, uh, the prime minister at the beginning of the movie says every civilization finds it necessary to negotiate compromises with its own values. Right. Um, yeah. And then I, I pulled a quote from Roger Ebert, too, and he said this movie is all about the impact of a country compromising its values to preserve them. Right. And as I was reading this, it kind of struck me that at this point in our history, the United States doesn't agree on what its values are. Right. Yes. Like our country has gotten a little lost in terms of shared values. And so my question to you is like, do do you think we have any shared values left to compromise? Like, and I don't mean that to say like, Oh, we've become, you know, like ethically bereft or anything like that. But I'm saying like, it's, it's a literal question. Do you think like, what, 
what is left? What's table stakes for the United States that everybody can still agree on? This is us. This is what we stand for. This is what we do. You have to have that before you're even able to compromise it, right? And and I don't know if at this point in our history we have that. I think we might use the same words, but have different definitions. So uh, the, the thing that comes to mind is freedom of speech, right? And I think most Americans would say they're for it, right? All like, I, I think you could ask a, a thousand people on the street and 1000 would say we're for freedom of speech, but then they would differ on what that means. You know, like is uh, freedom of speech, like you've got the Elon Musk version of it where everybody can say everything all the time, but even he starts blocking people when they say, when they disagree with them, you know, like, um, but so like, for example, when Donald Trump gets blocked on Twitter, people will say, Oh, that's not, that's against freedom of speech, even though the same freedom of speech allows us to, in that platform, the same freedom we have allows Twitter to say, no, you can't say that on our platform. Right. And so to get in the minutia of what freedom of speech is. So I think we have values in name, but we disagree on what that really means. Like, um, I personally, like my view on freedom of speech is the government can't step in and keep you from saying something and the the main reason there is so we can criticize the government that's why freedom of speech is so important is we can say what the government is doing wrong is wrong and we should never have to worry about going to jail for what we say that being said you still have consequences for what you do just not necessarily legal ones i think of um the charleston was it charleston where was the 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 guy who drove through the protesters there was the the white nationalist yeah, rally yeah there I, I know whatever. that you're talking about yeah and there was someone that worked at a grocery store in my town who was fired when they found out that they were there and everybody's like that's an attack on freedom of speech he has the right to go there and you know to say what he has to say and i'm like yeah he has the right he's not going to go to jail for going there and being racist but he still has consequences for what he says. Freedom of speech doesn't mean you can say whatever you want and get away with it. If you go up to someone and insult their uh, spouse, they're going to kick your ass. And you know what? You deserve it. <laughs> like, it just, um, it, you're just not in legal trouble. And that's what to me, you know, but someone would say, no, I should be able to just fucking go on Twitter and say racist shit or uh, misinformation and I should be able to do it, you know, but no, you don't get to. You can say it outside, you know, Yeah, you don't get to use, but I, I kind of got in the weeds a little bit on freedom of speech, but that's kind of my point is like, I think the only thing we have left that I think maybe people would all agree on is freedom of speech saying we should be allowed to say what we want. Yeah. But I, I, th I think, I think you're right though. I think that that's like a microcosm for the bigger problem. Like every tenant of uh, American identity is either disputed or under attack, right? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Uh, fucking build a wall. You know, like like every single piece of American identity is under dispute. And, and it makes it uh, feel very weird when you do have those moments of patriotism. Because I'm like you. I still 
uh, I still have feelings of patriotism. You know, I was, you know, born in the United States. I was a Boy Scout. I, you know, God and country all through my childhood. Like that's instilled in me, you know. Um, And but it, it feels hard to be loyal to a country where you don't necessarily know what you're loyal to at this point. And uh, that's, you know, just one of the things that this movie got me kind of thinking about. I also wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you were talking a, a, a bit about the the morality of doing for your country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that made me think about assassins versus soldiers, right? Um, because in this like there's an additional moral ambiguity that the assassins have to contend with because they do have the option just to walk away. Right. Um, Whereas as soldiers don't have the, the option to walk away and they're essentially being asked to do some of similar things. Just, you know, as a soldier, you're part of a much bigger org, whereas as an assassin, you're part of a team. But in the end, you know, you may be asked to sacrifice your life. You may be asked to do things that you would ethically or morally disagree with in the name of your government. And, uh, like, I, I feel in this movie, like we see, we see some of the psychological toll that that takes on these assassins. And I'm wondering if like part of that toll is because they do have a choice or like, are we not affording the same consideration to soldiers because they're under orders? You know what I mean? Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not I don't necessarily have a question here. It's just, it's just kind of this, this thought process that I was going through while I was kind of trying to come to terms with, you know, Eric Bana's arc, you know? Yeah. And, and, and same watching this as in, uh, Saving Private Ryan, where I'm when you're asked to take someone else's life, right? Uh, I go to bed at night knowing uh, and I'm at peace, right? Because generally speaking, I do my best not to harm anyone. <laughs> and, and it makes it easy to go to sleep. And there's there's a question that Eric Bennett asks is, did I do murder? As opposed in the film, he asked his handler, Am I, did I did I do murder or am I a murderer? Something like that. And um, meaning, are you just out here having me kill people for you, or am I actually doing revenge? Like there's a there's a line in his mind that is on one side or the other. But at the end of the day, regardless of whether or not for him it's murder, he's still not sleeping well at night, right? Like he. Let's say that the first guy they kill is indeed one of the planners of this attack. And he does uh, is guilty of that. And the sentence is death and they are out there carrying it out. Even if all of that is true, he still can't sleep at night. He's still taking the life of someone. And so when you talk about assassins and soldiers of like at the same time, you still have that weight. Like there's a reason our soldiers come home and are just messed up. Because it's not natural. Like, war isn't natural. (laughs) You know? Like, getting in a bar fight is kind of natural, right? We're animals. But just 
being told to kill someone and it's the right thing to do. It's the patriotic thing to do. It's what you do. To me, I'm like, all of that feels icky. And um, I just, I would rather be the person who just is able to go to bed at night knowing I haven't harmed anyone. And if uh, there was the, we talked about in Saving Private or the scene where Vin Diesel tries to protect the little girl and then he dies. And I said in that episode, I believe I was like, if I'm going to go, that's fine. You know, like if I die because I went out of my way, disobeyed orders to protect a child, I'm cool with that. That's fine. But I think it would be harder to obey orders watch her die and then go through the rest of my life living with that, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of, and I don't even know if that answers your question, but just like none of this shit is worth it. Yeah. There's a cost. There's a toll. There's a toll to bloodshed. Right. I mean, and I think that's also clearly stated by the bomb building guy who says, you know, like this is, this isn't just, you know, God and country. This is my soul we're talking about here. And if I lose that, I lose everything. And he feels like he's in danger of, you know, tarnishing his soul. If he continues on this path, if he hasn't done it already. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a heavy movie. Like there's like, despite being, uh, so action packed and, and slam bang and so on. Like there are, a lot of really heavy themes. I think like the thing that we didn't talk about the scene where the French guy double books the Airbnb for, uh, and he, he puts the, he puts the sworn enemies in the same, uh, safe house overnight. And so, you know, your Mossad guys end up in there with PLO guys and they have to like come to some sort of, well, they lie. That's a great scene. <laughs> yeah. It's really something, but the discussions that are had between the two, are interesting and that's where you really start to get you know Spielberg kind of humanizing the other side some and and like this guy is able to express his own you know views on what's happened and what's going to happen in the future and what their motivations are and so on but the thing that really struck me is like when he talks about home home is everything right and that kind of repeats throughout the movie because Eric Bana at the end of the movie he can't go home He's lost everything. There's that scene where he's looking in through the window at the kitchen and the guy says, oh, you could have that kitchen someday. But no, he can't. He like, because even after he ends up back with his wife and daughter, he can't go home. He He's uncomfortable in Israel. He doesn't feel safe anywhere. So he's lost that safety and sanctity of home. His relationships with his family are forever altered, even though they are still supportive. Like his wife still says, I love you after the weird creepoid sex that they just had. Um, so like <laughs> what would happen in your household if you just started screaming <laughs> mid coitus, how would that go? <laughs> I call the sweat. Know. The sweat might be even worse. Like, what are you doing? Why are you all wet? What is happening? Now we have to change the sheets, but, <laughs> uh, like he does like and that's the toll that's the price you know like he loses home which you know is everything um yeah. so yeah i don't yeah i i 
I, I haven't come right out and said it, but I loved this movie. I loved it. And, and I almost, like, I only had it rented for 48 hours. And if not, I would be watching it again today, probably, if it hadn't expired. I'm thinking of buying the Blu-ray. Like, to me, this is a total keeper. And uh, it's it's right up there with some of the others, the Private Ryans, the Schindler's List, as far as, like, the depth in the movie and then it just being also really entertaining on a movie watching level. Um, so yeah, I, I just feel like this is one of those movies that's just going to keep on giving the more you watch it. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I really, that, uh, that you compared going into it uh, to uh, back to the future three, the gift that you, you know, you'd never seen, but now you've got this brand new Spielberg classic to jump and, into. And, you know, I was going to say that exact same thing. Like, like if <laughs> in that way, it reminded me of back to the future three, first time in history, those movies have been compared, but for my own personal experience, here's this awesome, epic, like really great movie. That's just been sitting there waiting for me to come unwrap it. Like a piece of candy. Like I was, I was delighted by that aspect of it while I was watching it too. Like, it just made me think like what other movies are in the universe that I haven't seen, you know? And I, I, I really have a hard time with people who are like, I don't want to watch that cause it's old, you know? And I know people oh, like that. I will watch it cause it's old. And like, to me, bro, like all you have to do is press I play work with a guy and it comes to life and it's not old anymore. If it's go, new to you, it's new to movie draft house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, as someone who's watched every Hitchcock film. I very much enjoy an older film. Um, yeah, like I totally agree. Like you shouldn't not watch a movie because it's old. I I defy anyone to to watch North by Northwest and not be entertained. Old uh, movies can't do old it. movies don't feel old when you're seeing them for the first time. You know, like they they just There's something cozy about. Like I like a black and white movie. Like if you go if you want a cozy black like Notorious with Cary Grant. And uh, damn, I'm blanking on her name from Casablanca. Idrid, she's in a bunch of Hitchcock movies, and I'm blanking on her name. Um, anyway, it's called The Tories. It's really good. I just there's something cozy about older movies too that I like. I, I um, absolutely which agree. Mark hates because I make him watch a movie from the movie draft house where you can hear one guy who hates old movies watch old movies. <laughs> And this movie isn't particularly old. It's like 18 years old, but still, nonetheless, it feels like digging up at a golden nugget. Oh, Munich you know? isn't old. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. To me, this feels, even though it has that feel of a 70s film and the way it's, the filmmaking, it's still nice to look at. Like, it hasn't got that grain, which I actually like. I like a nice 90s, 80s grain. Like, when I put on Kickboxer, with Jean-Claude Van Damme and I see that grain of the time. Oh, it's just, it's wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. Old movies. We'll, we'll do some old movies at some point, which, you know, I guess we did. Uh, yeah. I mean, we kind of did. Jaws is old at this point. <laughs> so what do we, uh, let, let's, let's kind of wrap on Munich. I think we both enjoyed it. Maybe me a little more than you, yeah. but we both agree. There's I a would lot, give it a thumbs up. A lot coming I, out of I, it. You raved about it. I think, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It's not going to be like in the top five for me or whatever, but I still, or top 10 maybe even, I don't know. Um, but I still, I think it's a good movie. Yes. We'll wrap on it. Cool. Cool. So Thumb, two thumbs up from the, the chronological duo. 
What's uh, what's coming up next then for us? Dear God. All right. So let's see how long that lasts. Uh, we're going to watch our final, well, maybe not final, because we'll be circling back around to this series again at some point. Uh, but the most recent Indiana Jones film, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> who I've only watched it once. I did not go back to see it again. I And as we discovered through this podcast, I'm not exactly the biggest Indiana Jones fan. Like, if it isn't Last Crusade, I just don't care, you know. This is one of those, like, how do you go from this to that sort of movies? I'm kind you know? of like, hoping. It's one of those transitions where it's like, dude, like, you just made this. How did you poop out that, you know? Oh, dude. That's Hitchcock in a nutshell. Oh, my gosh. Like, Topaz, seriously, is truly one of the worst films he's ever shot out and it's late in his career um anyway uh so if you want to listen to more of me and move movie draft house wherever you get your podcasts also uh my new pack podcast is starting up in just about a week or s- no it's already started it started yesterday you should uh check out 10 week pro wrestling crash course where i teach elliot all about wrestling he knows nothing um, you can find Eric on Twitter at Eric underscore hotter. I'm on Twitter at podcast by Jeff. You can go to gamingnexus.com for all your video game reviews. Um, that's where Eric writes. You can check out his YouTube channel, Eric hotter. Anything else? You know what we never say is that we actually have a Twitter account for the show. It is, it is oh, not yeah. the most active, but we do like respond when people like say things to us and we announce each show and what it's about. So that's just at Spielberg chronologically on Twitter. Yeah, I just, uh, I haven't been tweeting as much since the uh, takeover. Yeah, me either. And I just kind of been like, I don't really want to support this guy. Yeah, I've, <laughs> so, I've been very disengaged with it as well, but I, I have been. I might have to create a TikTok. <laughs> Jesus, no. Please don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how else to promote things if it's not Twitter. It used to be the simple safe place for me to be, but now, you know, not anymore. It's so. fraught. It well, is fraught. Yeah. Uh now, what was the movie you said you wanted to do a bonus of recently? Uh, Super 8. I think Super 8 would be a good bonus. And What year did Super 8 come out? I don't know, but we're also circling mighty close to the point where we're going to have to bring Elliot back for some more Jurassic Park action. Like, oh, we, I, remember we postponed that until we got a little closer to okay, it in terms Super of- Super 8 is 2011, and then- uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World. World. Is 15th, so we're still got a little. We got a little ways to go. Okay, cool. So, but we do need to keep those on the radar. We don't want to. We don't want to miss out on doing all those bonus episodes, and because yeah, for sure, going to be super fun to bitch about those Jurassic World movies. Listen, and I said it on the episode at the time. I think that the second best Jurassic Park movie is Jurassic World, but hey, I could be wrong. But I don't think I am. We'll see how. But anyway, we'll be back in two weeks. We're going to take a look at Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Thank you for listening. Bye, y'all.